0: For the past.
1: (laughs) Well, welcome to OTXNT. We are streaming live. I'm uh, Andrew Marquez. I'm with my good friend, Dr. Ben Pate. How are you doing? We're doing pretty good. You know, we've left our folks uh, too long without uh, a word. And in the midst of everything, I hope that people will enjoy the topic of today. You want to introduce the topic?
0: Yeah. So today's topic is birthed out of um, what I've been doing Um, At our church, and then also just the times. So here's the piece. uh, Andrew, at our church, I've been preaching through Daniel since, uh, I think, pretty much day after Easter. Um, And so uh, we've been in that, and we are continuing to go through it. It's very timely. I did it because I I had a feeling that things were going to be chaotic this time of year uh, with our election. seems like we've just never really left chaos since 2016. Um, but also 2020 being the year it was, I knew and I really wanted to kind of just ground our people in w- the focus. And of course, Daniel's focus is the coming kingdom. It's really all about God's kingdom that he'll set up and nations rise and fall. Uh, and so that was important to do. So kind of what I wanted to do today, though, is talk with you from you get your New Testament perspective and me come in from an Old Testament perspective and talk about um, Kingdoms rising and falling because there's a lot of anxiety right now, Um, a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen in America. You know, it always feels like every year, every election year, it's always this is the most important election of our lifetime. And but you also look and you think, okay, this actually might be true. I mean, it all seems like it always is all the time Uh, because there are two very different paths. It seems like we could head down and um, in terms of party and all of that. And so there's probably, I know that there's some unease going on about what's what the future could hold. There's a lot of, um, you know, it seems like half the country is saying everything's fine, everything's good now, let's move on. There's another half that are burdened and concerned because you start to see and you say, well, there's there's there seems to be fraud, there seems to be some sort of issue. So whatever that is, right, whatever is going on, whether that stuff is real, whether it's not, whether it's all ginned up, um, you know, what I want us to do is I want us to examine and really just talk about countries coming and going regime change all of that from a biblical perspective and i'm going to bring with it kind of my view from daniel that's been coming out but i also want you to speak into some of that too so that's kind of where i want to take this today
1: well i'm excited i think i mean everybody likes daniel and i think right now you know we're talking about a prophet of god who saw the future and we know that it's about the future and it's about the end because he tells us so i think it's really exciting to think and it gives us a bigger a bigger uh, view of of uh, the scope of what's going yeah. on, and so we don't get necessarily so caught up in our moment that, that we, we forget that God's been in control all along. So uh, I, let's pray, and let's just jump right in, and, and if you're in knots, and you're concerned, and you don't know what to do, uh, I'd encourage you to pray. That's about the best thing we can do in, uh, in, in any situation. So we'll begin with uh, the Our Father, uh, if you'll bow with me. Uh, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right.
0: Well, hey, I mean, that's a perfect way to start this, by the way, is that prayer, right? Um, Your kingdom come. Uh, That's something that I think we need to kind of really see. Do we believe that? Um, and I think that's one of the things that challenged me in Daniel is um, Daniel gives us the focus that for the believer, we should be focused on the coming kingdom of Christ. Um, in fact, let's start this. When you go to Daniel chapter 2, there is the, the dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar has, and he sees this statue, and it's got different metals. And so it's got a head of gold. It's got a chest of silver. It's got a, a belly uh, of, of bronze, and it's got iron legs, uh, and then the feet become mixed of iron and clay. And yeah. Daniel says this is for uh, this is the end of time. And then in that dream, there is this rock that comes. It says, cut without hand, smashes the statue, and uh, begins to fill the rest of the world. And that is the, com- the coming kingdom of God, uh, where he will put an end to all kingdoms, And he will reign forever and ever. Uh, And so let's kind of begin with that, because you look at that and you say, okay, this is great, because in one respect, um, you're looking and you're seeing at the very end, God wins, his kingdom lasts. Um, But, you know, I don't think we've ever read it. It's hard sometimes, I think, to ever read it from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective you know, I, I thought this through because I did my dissertation on dreams and this was one of the passages. This is one of the dreams. And this is a layer. There's a there's a hint of judgment that's involved with this because Nebuchadnezzar is looking and he's saying, I'm seeing the statue. And you're telling me that I don't exist forever. You're telling me, Mike, you, you're telling me that statues just not all. In fact, I kind of wonder if that's why the statues all gold in part in, in the third chapter. Right this is babylon the great we're all gold we're not going anywhere you know versus my statue is the head is just gold um because what it says is you know he says after he's going to come another kingdom inferior yours. you're telling me an inferior kingdoms coming after me and then after that another kingdom and after that another kingdom and then up to the point where there's going to be a divided one that's brittle and so you know from from our perspective sometimes we read those chapters and we're like yes the kingdom of God's going to come and put an end, but I don't think we ever think what that means in terms of worldly kingdoms Mm -hmm. that ultimately that means that at some point, my kingdom that I'm a part of will not exist. Um, And so, you know, that, that's the part that I really want to wrestle with and I, and it's hard, it's hard to wrestle with because um, you know, we, we, I don't necessarily want to see my kingdom end. So your thoughts before we launch more into that, because I've, I've set it up.
1: All right. Yeah. And I, I think you're spot on again. Uh, and and I don't necessarily believe that we're coming to an end today. But, you know, uh, the Bible is full. I mean, when Paul is preaching in Athens, he's talking about how God orchestrates the, the nations and the subsequent uh, victories and failures of other nations. And, and God is in control of the the flow and the. Uh, the move of one nation overtaking another and that God is in charge. In fact, we know from uh, Israel conquered Canaan because of Canaan's wickedness and then another nation came up and conquered Israel and, and that God will use nations like this to establish his justice on earth. And then ultimately with the Daniel dream, we have the rock, which is God's kingdom finally coming to crush all of the kingdoms of man and, uh, and establish a, uh, an everlasting dominion of God, which you know, that's what we look for. And so at one point, you know, We we can sometimes get excited about, hey, uh, you know, maybe this is the last one to rise or the last one to fall. But, uh, you know, what's always intrigued me about the Daniel 2 passage and 7 and and Revelation 13 is this idea of a a timeline. It's a clock. There's a certain number of kingdoms and then the end. And so, um, you know, where does America fit in there? You know, do we even belong? And I remember growing up and saying, you know, where is America in the book of Revelation? you know, where, where'd it go? And I remember hearing people say, well, you know, it's the wings of the Eagle, you know, that, that, that are brought to, uh, protect the woman. It's like, yeah. All right. You know, I'm, I'm not sure I buy that, eagle. But, but why not? The other thing I've thought is, okay. You know, the, the, the fallen uh, nation that everyone grieves and mourns that, uh, has a uh, from sea to shining sea is how I read it. You know, there's a uh, two coasts and they had polluted the world with their iniquity. Uh, that kind of finally falls apart. You know that that's usually viewed as Babylon or Rome. But what if it was the United States of America? We have certainly polluted the world with pornography, and sin and iniquity. And so you know maybe we're not the good guys at the end of this story. You know you, we don't really know, and I'm not yeah. saying that's the case. But this is cryptic, and yet there's some very clear things that we get from these passages.
0: So let me let me ask you this because I want to go back to the idea of regime change and kingdom change in a minute, but. It, Okay, if you look at that scheme, schema, you've got, in the way I've read it, and I think it's pretty clear with the whole book in mind, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a Greek hypothesis one. I don't believe everything finds its fulfillment during the time of Antiochus. I think that this is definitely pointing us to the end of time. Um, so I mean, the way I read it is Babylon's first in the first scheme of things. You've got first kingdom is Babylon. Second empire to come is the, per- the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, you see that in chapter 8, where he will even say when he's going through, he talks about there's some correlations there between Persians are next. After that will come the Greeks. And historically, we know this took place. Persians swallowed up Babylon. Babylon was swallowed up by the Persians. And then the Greeks come with Alexander the Great. He conquers everything. The kingdom splits, as you see in chapter 7. It splits and it's got four four wings. Uh, Daniel 8 tells us that the four horns spray out, uh, but then after that is the iron kingdom, and I, I take that to be Rome, um, that that is talking about Rome, and I, and I think that when the, the, when the rock comes to crush, we're not talking about the cross. I think we're talking about the millennial reign of Christ, um, or at least whether the millennial reign of Christ, or if you're a millennial uh, at least the end where he comes and will set up his kingdom, at new heavens, new earth, it's over, right? That's it. Because um, there is some blurring to like, even in Daniel, of like the millennial reign of the new heavens and new earth of what comes, right? Um, but it's so it's that if, if that's the scheme, right, then, then we are technically still in fourth kingdom, the, the, we're technically in that fourth kingdom, that last kingdom. I mean, do you see that that being a correlation in New Testament, like when they talk about being in the last days, that that's, a, that's kind of maybe part of why we call ourselves in the last days is we're in that last kind of kingdom, um, whether that means we're in the toes that are combined with with clay and iron yet or not, but we're still considered part of the last kingdom.
1: Yeah, you know, and there are just so many ways to take this and to offend so many different groups. Um, But yeah, I I think that that's been the traditional view held most of uh, of Christian history, is that uh, Rome is the final kingdom and then some sort of extension of Rome has existed until to this day. And you could argue that that uh, existed with the collapse of the West and the different kingdoms that came about uh, would, would be represented in the toes. I think the most popular view that I'm aware of is that the, the Catholic Church uh, existed as uh, a continuation of the Roman Empire, but a different kind of empire, one that is not a uh, uniform people, but is mixed uh, with the power of Rome and yet with uh, the whole uh, clay, which would essentially. Is, is, an is that an old Reformed
0: view? Would that be where they begin to look at the church that way?
1: Well, you know, I, I, and it'd be nice to have a little more research on it. I, I think that generally the idea is, I think that's the Catholic view even, um, you know, I, I got to show my picture just because it's so cool. Show me the picture. All right. So this, this is, uh, if you want to know the answer, this is the Dispensational Truth by Clarence Larkin. It's one of the old uh, uh, Bible prophecy chart books that um, I have had in my church for years. And you can kind of see how he's broken it down. Um now what's interesting is I've never seen this anywhere else, but he breaks the two legs as the Western uh, Christian uh, kingdom and the Eastern Christian kingdom. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure I, I latch onto that, but it, you know, why not? Uh, it's, it's cool. Um, I think it adds too
0: much. I don't, I think Daniel's kind of broad. I think the focus is the metals, you know, yeah, not necessarily I, the
1: body. Parts. Right. But there are two legs and 10 toes, you know, I don't know that he True. he doesn't really emphasize the legs so much, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that, but the, the picture's fun and it's fun that people have been working on this for a long time and drawing it out and sketching it. And, uh, and a lot of times you work it out in such a way that you put yourself at the end, you know, and that's, you, you got to always check yourself to say, okay, am I just wanting to be at the end? Cause I want Jesus to come back. Or, you know, is there really signs that this could be the end? Um, and there are always signs that this could be the end, but, you know, I also see that we move into this, uh, the 10 toes. We've got the crowns, we've got the horns, we've got uh, multiple heads on the dragon and the beast in the Revelation, which kind of absorbs all these kingdoms, and so I, I've always kind of leaned towards this is some sort of connection to uh, the Roman Church, and that again they, they carry on in some sense the the old Roman Empire, and because of that, the old Protestant view a lot of times believed the Antichrist would come then from the Roman Catholic Church, and yeah. you know so again it's hard to really address this. There's a lot of speculation. I'm not saying that's the case. So, uh, I'm just saying this is a way it's been viewed.
0: I think it's, I think regardless of what you view of that, I think it's helpful. I think for Christians, at least the way I see it is you're in, we're in that fourth kingdom somewhere, whether yeah. we're into the we're, we're living in the time of the clay and the iron toes or not, we're in that kingdom and we wait for Christ. We wait for his kingdom to come. We're not waiting and expecting another kingdom. We're still in that fourth final kingdom. So but here's the problem then, right? Because we're waiting for Jesus, that should be the biggest thing. In fact, that's the big takeaway. The big takeaway of Daniel chapter 2 is we wait for his kingdom. Uh, and then you start to you start to get to things like this. So I'm going to open up my Bible, I'm just going to read while we're talking, right? So you get to the end of of pretty much every one of those chapters, um, and you'll see there is a, there's some sort of a doxology that comes, Um, and so, you know, you'll see some sort of praise um, that is made about who God is and His power, Um, and so, like at chapter two, you'll see, um, what does he say? He says, um, yeah, that God is indeed God of God's, revealer of mysteries. and um, and and so you know he he brings him in here and he d- kind of does that in chapter three, then you get into four. And four is really, really gets good. He talks about uh, how how great are his miracles, how mighty are his wonders, His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. So Nebuchadnezzar moves into saying, okay, it's about his kingdom, and he his dominion lasts forever and ever. And then he closes chapter four saying his dominion is an everlasting uh, dominion, his kingdom is from generation to generation, all inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, he does whatever he wants with the army of heavens and the inhabitants of the earth, there is no one to block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now that is a piece that I think is quite interesting because in this book, essentially what Nebuchadnezzar says is that God's kingdom is all that matters, it's the one that will last forever. None of these other ones will. So for us as a believer, we read that expectantly and saying, yes, amen, amen. And we should read, you know, he does whatever he wants. And it's easy to read chapter four and to say, yes, that's true. And he should. But if the question should be, if, if we've still got some more history to go, and we're not yet in the clay and the, the toes yet, or we're there. Um, you know, there's some things that are probably still meant to happen. I'm definitely, um, I, I'm definitely on the pre-mill side of things. I and and I kind of see that uh, we have, we still have someone who's going to come. We see that in the fourth kingdom of chapter seven. There is this horn that will arise, and he will speak boastfully out of the fourth kingdom. Um, and and it's interesting in chapter seven he uproots three of the horns uh, or he, he uproots one subdues three uh, and so um, there is an in, there is this piece of not only do you see collective nations you see first beast is gone second beast gone third beast fourth beast is here then he's in charge and is subduing all the other ones as he controls that fourth kingdom. Um, It's easy to say, yes, we want God to put an end to those. We wait on that. But what's not easy, I guess, is what is to understand that in the end of time, it may include if God is orchestrating things, it may include, as it seems, he will have somebody subdue other nations, Um, that it may include somebody unrighteous coming to power. It may include, uh, no, not that it may, it's going to. Now, what that means is for your own nations and your own time. whether you're watching this in America or you're watching another country, um, we, we have to understand that the, really the only righteous takeover that we see is going to be the kingdom of God. There is no promise that any other kingdom that comes in that scheme from Nebuchadnezzar on is going to happen righteously. Uh, the only one we wait for is the kingdom. And so that's the thing I think is, is hard to grasp for me, because when Nebuchadnezzar says, who can say, what have you done? You can't move his hand in anything. Um, if he's going to bring down the Babylonian Empire and bring the Persians with a giant army at their gates. You know, I guess, you know, if it was if that was America back in the day, I would have wanted it to just have a nice, easy fade And then we just sort of all become absorbed and we never have to deal with any issues or anybody seizing power or whatnot. But biblically speaking, we don't see that take place. We see time after time, one nation comes, another one hits them, takes over and they subdue each other. And that's just usually what it is. In fact, I'm talking too much, Andrew here, but I'll stop. If you even just look at how we got from Nebuchadnezzar to his grandson, Belshazzar by chapter five, um, Nebuchadnezzar's son will come, I think it's evil Murdoch or whatever is Marduk, evil Marduk, um, he'll be assassinated, another guy takes it for like six months, he'll be assassinated, and then Nabonidus, who it seems to be married to Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, he'll take over and he'll reign, and then Belshazzar is the grandson will reign too. But so even in that, it's one guy comes in and kills another guy and another one, so like nobody is just in these kingdoms unfolding. Um, the only thing just is waiting upon the kingdom to return. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm messed up on this because I would love to have seen just kingdoms coming and then understand. OK, but in the end, God's kingdom matters. But that's not necessarily what we see.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is that this is not um, this is apocalyptic. All right. It's, uh, talking about the end times, it, it's hard for us uh, by apocalyptic. It's a type of literature that's often veiled. Sometimes it's bringing all of human history onto the stage at the same time. And so there's a lot of history. And so, you know, you you could be in the the feet, but that might be another 500 years in the feet before anything actually comes of it. So you've got to resist the temptation to be an alarmist. And yet you have to remember the call to be ready, you know, (laughs) be watchful, be ready. Like if you look in the night, the, the Lord will come. And so... You know, these these are important things. But, you know, right now in America, where, you know, the most important election of history has happened, and it very well might be the most important election in history, and it might not be. Uh, and it may be that we're, we're seeing uh, lots of really uh, confusing and alarming things that are happening with the election and with the votes and all these things. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, I've shut most of it off. I, 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 I've just committed, you know, if the anxiety raises in me, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray that God Uh, Would do things. One that he would make himself known. That he is in control. That he would remind us, and that's really what we're doing today. We just want to remind everybody: the stone is coming, the sovereign is God, and he's holding on. He he, he's not surprised by any of this. We might Mm -hmm. get surprised, but he's not. And so just have faith. And there have been times that are dark for the church, and there have been times that are bright for the church. But we're called to shine regardless. So pray. Uh, Put your you know anxiety into Christ. Sometimes that anxiety is helpful because it reminds you to pray. And then the, the other thing I think is really important when we're thinking about uh, the future and with these kingdoms, oh, I hope I didn't lose it, <laughs> it is this idea that, that it is moving forward, right? God's in control, and God will eventually come and, and reign. And, and because of that, we, we don't need to be anxious today. We might have persecution coming. You know, I, I've been preaching through First, first Peter, which is a, essentially a book of suffering, <laughs> because we know it's part of the deal. Uh, and at the end, chapter five, there's a little doxology there that says, you know, to him be the dominion uh, and glory forever. That That is a common theme that we see, that, that God is going to be in control. He's going to be, uh, his power will come. That rock is coming to crush the kingdoms of the world. And so don't fret, uh, don't worry. But I would say prepare, you know, what, what can we do, you know, in this confusing time, this difficult time, you know, you go onto the, the Christian television and a hundred people are going to tell you that they've had a prophetic revelation that this is the end. And, you know,
0: which is another conversation we need to have is what to make with all these prophetic utterances.
1: Right. And, and again, I will tell you, I'm concerned about a few things. I'm concerned about the Pope in Rome and the direction that, that things are headed for the Catholic church. They've always been our friends when it comes to abortion. They've been our friends when it comes to uh, issues of marriage Uh, And the Pope seems to be playing loose and free with longstanding doctrine. And that bothers me because I don't want to lose an ally in the religious freedom realm uh, when we're trying to fight a government that's trying to push a radical new social agenda on us. That troubles me. Uh, Again, I'm not I don't follow the Pope, so I don't care. But I do like having uh, friends in the fight. And I feel like on a lot of the social issues, we lost a lot of the mainline Protestant denominations years ago. So, you know, that, that bothers me. They also have a global reach. And I'm concerned about uh, some of the conversations about the global reset. You know, I don't know if people are following that. The local news is not following that. But there was a pretty significant meeting of people in the fall uh, in Davos talking about using the coronavirus tech, uh, pandemic as an opportunity to reset the global economy and to push for vaccinations across the world and for tracking of people across the world. That scares me. (laughs) And that's not been in the local American media because it's an election year. But those things are happening. Those things have been happening for a long time. So we don't have to be worried and concerned all, you know, in knots. But we should be aware. We should be paying attention. Uh, God is in control. And God is in control through that whole book of Revelation when really terrible things are happening. And so what I would say, what we need to be doing is, one, pay attention, but more importantly, prepare. What can we do To be prepared in case dark times are coming our way
0: yeah well so i think one of the things we need to be prepared for is god's sovereignty and control god's sovereignty and control does not um is not negated if unrighteousness reigns does that make sense is i think sometimes we think well god's show yourself make yourself in control And, and one of the things i pray is that regardless, because I feel like I see things from one perspective. And so I want to pray when I look at the world and I look at our nation is, God, what I really want is I want righteousness. I want justice to prevail. That's what I want. And so if I'm looking at things from clouded from my end about what I think should be the case, really what I want is God's Judgment to be the way that he judges and who comes up. However, that being said, what I know from what I know from Daniel, what I know from the books, from really the rest, the whole Bible, is that um, most of the time, righteousness is not necessarily something that is seen on the the government level. Uh, most of the time, uh, the way that people seize power, the way that governments come in and leave, granted, sometimes you've got good people, uh, but most of the time it does, not just because you have, um, you've got rough people or bad people or, or deceitful people, that does not necessarily mean that God is not in control. Uh, it means that God is orchestrating things for his own purposes and his own glory um, that are outside of the scope of what I wish could happen, and so I think that's helpful to understand too. That no matter how what I may perceive is happening, because I don't like politically what took place, or I might see and might feel that that um, wickedness is prevailing. Uh, you know, especially when we're going to have to weigh in pretty soon, and you're going to see some decision is going to be made in our country, and then it will be locked in. It'll be official. It won't just be people projecting but it'll be locked in when that happens there's going to be some in my opinion there's gonna be a little bit of chaos and people are gonna on both sides are gonna think on no matter what sides one side or the other is gonna feel like justice has been uh perverted uh and that uh that here we are chaos that being said god is still in control even of that i, I go back to the idea that you see in uh, daniel four He does what he wants with the army in heaven, the inhabitants of the earth um, and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say, what have you done? So God will do whatever he wants, and he will work things according to his own plans and his own will. And if you follow at least the Bible, I mean, think about the story of Israel. How many did God make sure he had righteous people all the way, all the time? If You look at the grand scheme of things in terms of history. Israel, um, what, three kings in Judah? Zero for the north, three yeah. for Judah. Now, at least in Judah, right, you had a successive reign because God's promise in 2 Samuel 7 that you would have from the house of David, someone who would always reign. But you have David. Solomon was a loser. Uh, I mean, he, he burnt out pretty quickly with the stuff he was doing. Um, and then, really, you see a, a new guy, you see Hezekiah, and then Josiah. That's it in terms of good people who were who came to power. The majority of the stories are these are bad people, and they're here, and this is life. Um, and the prophets call the people back, but God was still in control of all of that. I think it just gets. I guess the reason I want to make this video is because I felt like it gets trickier when you when half of a country then begins to feel you know, that it's not righteous anymore. You know, it used to be an election be over and we all, we all go home, we realize it's done, but I feel like we're so polarized now that regardless whether you're on one political spectrum or another, you're going to feel um, some aspect of righteousness or justice is not done. And so what should that make us feel? No matter as a Christian, what s- political spectrum you feel at, I need to stop and say God's in control.
1: Right. And and he has
0: allowed things to happen and to roll out this way.
1: I've got a I got a quote here. I'll I'll read in a second from Spurgeon about sovereignty. And I think it's really helpful. Uh, But uh, one of the things that kind of crossed my mind was Christians need to have a banner that's more important to them than their political party. And and that's one of the things that we've almost depending on your denominational group, you know, if you're Episcopalian, it typically means you're a democrat if you're baptist typically it means you're a republican but it's not uniform but one of the things that are concerning uh it should be concerning is the platform changes and, and that's where i think people are like well my dad was a democrat i'm a democrat my dad's a republican i'm a republican we our family is this or that we need to once again look at these opportunities to say are we the church are we jesus christ's family on earth here And if we are, then what are the issues that we care about? What are the things that are important? And uh, it goes back to some of the previous episodes we've had, you know, the importance of children, the value of children, the the importance of blessings, the importance of life in the womb, uh, you know, standing up for that. Uh, These are things that are going to become more and more pressing. And I think that some of the concerns that I have, like going forward, is, you know, one party said that we need to remove the Hyde Amendment, which has been in place since Roe v. Wade to make sure that taxpayer dollars were not used to subsidize abortion. The Democrat party has come out and said, we need to get rid of the Hyde Amendment. And that is troubling to me because I believe in paying my taxes, but I don't wanna pay my taxes and have them used to take unborn life. I believe it's uh, that's life. I believe that's a person. And because of that, you know that's troubling. So we need to start really thinking through, there's some major issues. We've got a lot of questions with the new sexual revolution that's going on. and. Um, the faith shouldn't be in the party, but the party is a block or the party is a vehicle. And so uh, knowing that we, we need to start thinking strategically and we need to re-question some loyalties. Uh, and I do see a lot of Christians that kind of are wanting to chart a middle ground. And the problem I see is as a country moves towards uh, wickedness, uh, moves in the direction that's not towards God, but away, we end up in the middle, further away from God than we used to be a generation ago. And I think people don't recognize that. We wanna go along to get along and we don't wanna live our lives in a mindset of warfare, uh, but there is a spiritual war going on. And so these things should trouble you, you should be concerned, but the way that we fight the war is on our knees. Uh, one of the, the quotes I, I had recently used in a sermon is from a Spurgeon, this goes to your sovereignty question. God is not surprised and won't be surprised. He's told us the end from the beginning And so this is a Spurgeon on the sovereignty of God. There's no attribute more comforting to his children than God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. And so we relish God's control, even though we know that our affliction might be part of that. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay, because we also recognize that there is a higher point to affliction and suffering, and that is it, it connects us to Jesus, right? Yeah. When we have a hard and difficult time, it means that we suffer like our Savior, and it also binds us to each other. You know, America has had a long run of not worrying about terrible persecution, physical violence for your faith. But there's places all over the world where they worry about that every day. And, you know, maybe going through some hard times might make us more aware of some of our brothers and sisters in Christ that are dying for their faith, you know. Uh, there's bigger problems than who made the, uh, who wins the election, <laughs> and I think it opens our eyes as well to, to God's work outside of our local nation. Um, so uh, those are some of the things that I think about.
0: Yeah, so I think, I think that's all good. I think, um, I think those are things that we should be evaluating. I think there's another piece to this nation you know, transition of nations because, like I said, if you were living in Babylon at the time when the Persians show up to your your uh, your house uh, in at the end of Daniel chapter five, you're probably going to think this is pretty unjust. We're Babylon the Great. How dare you take over us? But yet, God ordained it already. This was going to happen. There's another piece that you brought up that I think is really interesting, and it came out of chapter eight. Um, In Daniel, something that I was beginning to ask our people, because it's a principle that we see occurring um, throughout, we we see it a couple different times in the Old Testament, but it's this piece right here. Because in uh, Daniel 8, in verse 12, he says this In the rebellion, or because of the rebellion, the army was given up together with a regular sacrifice the horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. Now, the interpretation says this in verse 22. The four horns that took the kingdom, uh, that that took the place of the broken horn represents four kingdoms. They will rise from that nation, but without its power. Near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, a ruthless king, skilled in intrigue will come to the throne. Um, Now, It also goes on to say this too, his power will be great, but it will not be his own. He will cause outrageous destruction and will succeed in whatever he does. Um, He will destroy the powerful along with the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence and in his own mind, he will exalt himself um, and he will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be broken not by human hands. Now, that being said, when you read that, there's something interesting. So I take the the because of the rebellion in verse 12, um, and I take the rebellion discussed in verse 23, uh, when the rebels have meet reached their full measure of sin, to be talking about the people of Israel. Um, that that once they've already gotten back, and you see glimpses of this in Ezra and Nehemiah, especially uh, that Israel once again will fall into sin. Um, And it seems to be saying in verse 23 that because of their sin, at some point, God allows it to fill up. And then he brings that little king out of the third kingdom, Antiochus Epiphanes, the small horn, Um, meaning that it does seem like God also, as he works with nations, has seems to have some sort of a limit um, that you fill up your sin, your rebellion against Him, and then He will bring something to bring it down. It's very similar to, I think it's Genesis fifteen verse sixteen, when God says to Abraham, "I will bring you out in four generations or in four hundred years." Um, how? Um, but the sin of the Amorite in, um, has not yet reached its full, com, you know, uh, conclusion, um, meaning that. when he does pull them out in 400 years, then it'll be time for them to go and judge the Amorites for what they've done. But he's giving them time to fill up uh, and and complete their sinfulness. So I do think there's another aspect where God sometimes will bring in unjust rulers and kingdoms um, to whack down those who are unjust in and of themselves, Um, like you had referenced earlier, right? The idea that, you know, that you'll see in the prophets seeing that kind of stuff, too. They, they struggled with that, that God would finally bring someone more wicked than them to come and oppress them. What's troubling the Daniel passage is that it is not only does the little horn come up to that God uses to destroy and to to judge the wicked people, the re- rebels, but in the process of bringing this wicked man, he will also oppress God's own people. Those who have remained faithful to him. And that is disturbing, but at the end of it, you still recognize God's in control. And this is his plan. And he will he will bring everything to an end the way that he wants to. So that's a, another little piece I've had on my mind as you kind of finish up, at least to chapter eight.
1: Well, and and I saw I think again what what I'm hearing is we shouldn't be surprised. God's not surprised. He's in control. He's he's on the throne. We know. Dark times are ahead for God's people. We may or may not be experiencing those times. And if uh, we're not, we should make hay while the sun shines and get the gospel out while it's still free to do so. Amen. But what do we do to prepare if we are seeking understanding and it becomes clear that it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, a persecution has, has come back to the house. Uh, yeah, like I said,
0: whether whether the tribulation is in a year from now, four years from now, or 400 years from now, we are still called to prepare yeah and to be ready to be His people and hold, you know, hold yeah. tight and hold to the faith.
1: Now, he, here's a, something that, that I think we, we ought to say, and we've talked about doing a video on this, but there, there are certain things that you as Christians, if you're watching this, should be doing uh, that you can do right now, besides just praying. But that, that is to recultivate uh, your faith in God and, and strengthen your faith in God and uh, connect to the old disciplines. And I, I would like to say that uh, not everybody is in a place to get back to regular church attendance just because you might be at risk but i'm looking on facebook and i'm seeing people engaging in all aspects of life once again except churches off limits and i think that there are a few things as a christian one you need to get into your bible you need to start reading it you need to pray you need to have regular opportunities to grow in your faith but you also need to re-engage the church and again, I'm not saying that that means that you have to go and find the largest worship service and attend, but I, <laughs> we're doing online church and I'll tell you, my numbers are going down and they're not necessarily going down while the people are all coming back. It's it's what happened is there was a habit of church attendance that went away. Then there was a habit of we'll go online and that's falling aside and people are, are getting uh, distance from the church. And if you think that you're going to be able to withstand hard times and suffering without a strong connection and fellowship with Christians, you're going to be surprised. What sustains us is God's word and God's people. And so, you know, this is a call out to those of you that, that need to reengage. you know, who you are, re-engage, connect with your church, call some people in the church, encourage the church and uh, be ready because again, I'm not saying that next week we're going to have chaos in the streets and uh, Christians will be burned on crosses, you know, that day might come again, but Satan can, uh, Satan can really make a work through hard persecution and also through, you know, light, subtle temptation, and I I really have a burden right now that I think there's a lot of Christians through this pandemic that have allowed themselves to really drift away from a strong faith. I don't know, what are your thoughts on that?
0: You know, I think you've hit something that I've been thinking about lately too, which is um, we need to If you're not careful, you're going to take news, whether it's, you know, and and the way everything is always painted, everything seems bad all the time. Everything's worse, worse, especially in an election cycle. It just seemed like everything was always bad all the time. And if you're not careful, um, you begin to take it on as it's me against the world. It's I'm by myself and I'm going to have to do this. And you need to stop because as a church, it's not you. It's not you. It's you and the, the body that God has brought here that will take on whatever it takes together. You are not to take things on by yourself. So no matter what happens, you should have a body that you are together saying, we're going to do this day by day together. We're going to live through this together. We're going we're gonna to survive together. Um, but if you are not connected, oh, it, it will probably be miserable because you don't have an encouragement. You Don't have like we see in Hebrews to, to bring to, to get together so for the encouragement um, to to build each other up. So I think you need that no matter what. I, I also have been talking to my people about um, you know we just we always need to be in the habit of of you know whether a whether a shutdown comes again, but our faith it will last regardless of whether you have to shut again, that we are meeting, we're in the habit, we've got good habits already. Um, that are built in that will just shift if things need to shift, Um, and so that's something I think is important as well.
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, again, I hope nobody's hearing me say, oh, he's just trying to get everyone to to go back to church. Um, No, what I'm trying to say is that we've got to find a way to be the church and to assemble in some sense, and I think there is uh, value in some, in getting together at the same time online, Um, but the, the truth is uh, you know, when this shutdown was initially happening, I was trying to say to myself, it's like, okay, if I had to choose a cohort that I was willing to, to connect with, uh, would it be my kids' sports or athletics, or would it be the family of faith? And what I'm seeing is many people have chosen other cohorts, and not the family of faith, and it is blaring on some of the social media, and it uh, it's to their own detriment. Again, I you know, God's gonna take care of my church one way or another. I'm not I'm not worried. But what I'm trying to just put out there is an encouragement that the church has held together through hard times, uh, largely because they met together on a regular basis and they found ways to do it. Uh, and again, there's other habits. I, I, are you reading your Bible? One of the reasons I push church attendance is because the Bible is usually read at church and prayers are, are, are said at church and the gospel is preached at church and the, the Lord's Supper is taken at church. Uh, these are the things that have bound Christians together and prepared us to uh, to, to suffer for the sake of Christ, and God is in control, and God has also decreed certain things for us to do uh, while we wait for his kingdom come and his will be done, and so I just wanted to kind of put a little bit out there. I mean, it's it's not terribly off topic, but um, it's important. I think that's a just,
0: great thing. I think of it's a great way to kind of end this, which is we know God is in control of all the nations. He is sovereign over all things. He is in control. One of the things that we see over and over, he's in control of all of history. He's in control of all the future. Um, He will work things and orchestrate things for the glory of his kingdom, first and foremost. He is bringing things to 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 the end in the way that he wants to. In fact, you know that's what we find in the New Testament, right? Is we understand that that there is a time that what he's doing, he's got a window open so that in for that you know for the max amount of people to get saved before he does something. But if the max amount of people to get saved might mean hardship, then he's going to do what it's going to take for the maximum uh, glory of his own kingdom. And that being said, as I wait upon the coming kingdom, I live for his kingdom now. I also need to be living with others in that kingdom together and encouraging each other and building each other up about that kingdom. And we can talk all we want and we can love the kingdom that we might be earthly king that we're a part of. But we should be encouraging each other to always be seeing the hand of God and the sovereignty of God in our lives and with our church and wait upon that and rest upon that no matter what. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's a it's a great way to kind of kind of round this up.
1: All right. Well, I think that that's that's another OTXNT in the in the books. Uh, God's in control, right? God's sovereign. His dominion will come. It's already reigning. Christ is seated on His throne, uh, awaiting the day. So don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. And and, uh, I I think it's it's really important that we try to be prepared for uh, suffering as it comes, and it will come to all of us. Absolutely. All right. You want to close this out with a blessing? Let's do it.
0: You ready? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. All right. Good times, man.